Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Happy December. Holiday season is in full force right now. Uh, And even though I've had my decorations up for a month now, and I've been listening to Christmas music for weeks, I'm still behind on my Christmas projects and my handmade gifts. It seems like no matter how early I start making things for the holidays, I'm always perpetually behind and panicked as we count down to Christmas. And that's why today I want to share some tips about how to finish quilts fast. Because if you're like me, you need all the help you can get. (laughs) So I'm going to give tips for the actual finishing of the quilt process, like basting, quilting, and binding first, since I think that's where quilters start to slow down in the process. So I wanted to quickly touch on batting first, if you haven't already purchased yours yet. Batting, of course, is a very personal choice, and it really depends on the project you're making, but if you're machine quilting projects yourself on your domestic machine, or you're newer to the quilting process, I'd suggest trying a low loft batting, which is thinner and it's easier to work with. So when I first started quilting my own quilts, I switched to a low loft batting, and I just find it so easy to push through my small sewing machine while I'm quilting, and it's just overall not as heavy or bulky or kind of tedious to work with. Now, If you usually pin baste your quilts, you can try using a basting spray instead. So pin basting can take a very long time if your quilt is large, or maybe if you're making multiples of smaller projects for gifts. So a can of basting spray can make quick work of this step, um, and it'll just wash out when you launder the quilts. They also sell um, fusible battings So once you have your backing, your batting, and your quilt top layered, you can use heat, like from an iron, to activate the fusible in the batting. So that's another option. But if it's a smaller project, and you're not planning to do heavy quilting to it, you may just be able to skip the basting step altogether. Uh, With smaller projects, like table toppers, Uh, Sometimes I won't baste at all, or I'll just add a few pins to the outside to hold the corners together. Um, And if I do that, I just always make sure that I'm quilting in the same direction. So any shifting that does happen, happens in the same way. So for instance, if I always start from one side and go to the other, it'll always kind of push the quilt in one direction um, so you don't get any wobbles or waves. Um, And then I usually start in the middle of my project and work out to avoid any accidental puckers or folds if you're skipping that basting step. Okay, now let's talk about the quilting process. So if you're in a rush, now is not the time to do complex or custom quilting. So if you own a long arm, uh, maybe opt for a simple meander or stipple stitch. Those can be pretty fast designs to complete. Um, or even a large uh, swirl or a wave design across your quilt. And if you're quilting a quilt on your domestic sewing machine, consider just a basic stitch, such as 
straight line. You could do stitch in the ditch or a serpentine stitch. I do a straight stitch or a serpentine stitch on almost all of my quilts and it looks polished and professional. And straight lines, they don't necessarily mean straight across the entire width of the quilt. So you could do like a chevron design, a cross hatch, um, diagonal straight lines too. So it doesn't have to be, you know, boring straight lines if your quilt calls for something a little extra special. So for those who haven't heard of the serpentine stitch before, let me just brag about it a little bit. It's a standard stitch on almost every sewing machine and it looks like a wavy line and you can adjust the length and width to fit your needs and it looks so fancy. I always get compliments when I use this stitch on gifts I'm giving um, and I actually just machine quilted an entire throw quilt using a serpentine stitch. I had them spaced about three inches apart um, I did that this weekend and it only took me one and a half hours. Um, I was actually kind of shocked. I thought it was going to take longer. I turned on a Hallmark movie, which are two hours long, and I thought it would take me at least one and a half Hallmark movies, and it didn't even take me one. Um, and the quilt is finished. It took me just, you know, that short amount of time to quilt. So that's how quick the stitch is. I highly recommend the serpentine stitch if you've never done it before. Okay, here's an extra tip for your machine quilting. If you're short on time, you want to machine quilt as far apart as you can based on your batting recommendations. So most battings recommend um, three to five inches apart for your stitches. Um, so start with the largest length apart you can. And then if you find yourself having more time to finish the quilt, you can fill in between those first stitching lines to make the quilting denser but of course it's always best to just hold the quilt together with those first stitch lines in case you do run out of time. You can also consider tying your quilts. Um, not all quilts work, work well for the tying method or would look good with the tying method, but some are made for tying. Um, so you can choose a batting that can have stitches farther apart, such as you know six to eight inches apart, so that you don't have to do ties every few inches. Um, and then you can use floss, pearl cotton. I like to use yarn. Um, and there are actually even tutorials online for how to add ties um, on your quilt with your machine to make it even faster. So I definitely wanna check that out because I think that would make um, quick work of some of the quilts I'm doing. Okay, now let's talk about binding. Binding can add hours. Or if you're a slow binder, it can add days to your project. Um, but here are just a few tips for making it faster. So if you are a stickler for hand sewing your binding to the back of the quilt, I know I am, um, try using hand quilting thread to sew. It's my favorite. Hand quilting thread has a coating, so it glides through the fabric easily. It's strong, so you can kind of pull at it without breaking the thread. And the best part is because it has that coating on it, it does not easily tangle. So when I'm using it to bind my quilts, I can cut off a length of thread probably up to maybe 36, you know, three feet uh, long, which just saves time, you know, tying knots, burying threads, cutting more thread length. Um, 
But you can, of course, always bind your quilt entirely by machine, which definitely saves time. Um, and if you're gifting a small quilt like a wall hanging or a table topper that won't necessarily be washed, you can actually attach your binding to the front um, and, and or the back with uh, dots of fabric glue or even a fusible seam tape. So that's an out of the box idea, but sometimes if you're just making a little gift and you're running short on time and you need to finish it, you know, just a little glue <laughs> does wonders. Okay, now I wanna share a few just general tips for speeding up your project, no matter what step of the process you are. So first is shop local. So if you need fabric, batting, thread, or other tools to complete your project, or you run out of something and you need it, just head to the store in your area instead of ordering it online. So um, I, I always uh, order online because I think it's so convenient, um, but, but if you're in a rush, it's not the time to do that. So even if I did order something like from Amazon for two-day shipping and there were no shipping delays, which would be kind of shocking, um, I'd still be able to finish my project faster if I just ran to the local quilt store, picked up what I needed, and came back my house. Um, okay, my second tip is to work smarter, not harder. So this is the time to turn your sewing room into a factory. So sometimes with projects, I like to make things uh, block by block because it just brings me joy to see the finished blocks and it keeps my interest in the projects going. But if you are in a hurry, just work in the smartest way possible. So cut all your pieces at once chain piece anything you can, iron things in large batches, um, and it'll just help things go a little bit quicker. Okay, this next idea is to use a serger if you have one. Now this won't work for all projects, um, and I am not a regular serger user, so I, I can't speak tons on it, but I have heard of a few ideas that my coworkers have used that I'm just gonna throw out to you all maybe it will spark something for you. So you can use a serger to trim and sew together a pieced quilt backing. You can use it to piece plush or flannel quilts, which those fabrics are sometimes harder to work with and they ravel a lot easier. Or you could choose decorative serger stitches to machine quilt or embellish your projects. Just make sure that you're disengaging the cutting blade. <laughs> Okay, my last tip is if you haven't started the project yet or you haven't picked the pattern, be realistic with yourself and your time. So although we may have had these you know, big intentions of doing projects, like maybe you wanted to make a double wedding ring quilt as a gift for newlyweds, maybe you need to opt for a double wedding ring table runner this year instead. Um, or maybe you decided you were going to make matching stockings for the entire extended family, but maybe you just need to admit that you're only going to get the names that started with A through L done this year, and the rest of the alphabet gets their stockings next year. So look for easy patterns with repeating blocks or units that are easy to chain piece without too much thought. Um, and if you need a quilt to be bigger, you can opt for adding wider borders instead of piecing a lot more blocks. So just be kind of conscious about what patterns you're choosing 
and maybe change your plan if you're really short on time. So that's all the info I have today. Uh, I hope it helps you finish the projects on your to-do list more efficiently, uh, especially if they're meant as gifts or holiday decor this year. And feel free to email me your speedy sewing tips if you have any. Um, We'll list our email in the show notes, but I'd love to hear more tips uh, to share in a future show and, of course, to use for myself when I'm frantically sewing my holiday projects. Okay, we're going to take a quick ad break now, but when we come back, we're sharing a tip to conquer your works in progress and a holiday trend we're seeing on Instagram. Welcome back. Now it's time for UFO Challenge, a segment where we share tips for conquering your unfinished objects. So I just finished reading the book, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. The book came out a few months ago, and I highly recommend it if you need kind of a refreshing take on time management. But there was a quote in the book um, that related to all us quilters that have a lot of unfinished projects. So I had to share because it really struck me and made me rethink the way I approach projects. So here's the quote. Limit your work in progress. Perhaps the most appealing way to register the truth about your finite time is to initiate a large number of projects at once. That way, you get to feel as though you're keeping plenty of irons in the fire and making progress on all fronts. Instead, what usually ends up happening is that you make progress on no fronts because each time a project starts to feel difficult or frightening or boring, you can bounce off to a different one instead. You get to preserve your sense of being in control of things, but at the cost of never finishing anything important. Ouch, right? (laughs) When I read that, it, it kind of stung me because many times I approach my projects this way. I have piles of unfinished projects around my room, and I swap them out as soon as I get bored or antsy with one. And just like the author says, I absolutely feel like I am being so productive because I'm working on all these things all the time. But have I finished many of these projects? Nope. (laughs) And therefore, am I really being productive with my time? Maybe not. So I think it's especially hard when we're aiming to finish our UFOs while also working on new projects because we're able to pull fabric and start cutting something new anytime we're in the mood. Maybe when we see a fun new quilt along on social media or decide weeks before Christmas that we need to make handmade gifts or we see a brand new fabric collection at our local quilt shop and we just can't wait to cut into it. So sometimes we're increasing the amount of projects we're working on while also simultaneously adding projects to our UFO list if we don't finish the new projects we start in a timely manner. So I think what the author is relaying to us is that we need a level of commitment. So if we're truly setting these goals to complete our UFOs, we we cannot hide behind this fake veil of productivity. We have to dive in We have to get our hands dirty 
And sometimes we have to work through the hard or the boring parts of a process to really make progress. And that can be hard because who doesn't like those bright, you know, and shininess that comes from switching projects often? I know I certainly do. But as I approach the new year, um, and I'm once again committing to, you know, finish all my UFOs on my list, I'm going to keep this philosophy in the back of my mind so that I can catch myself when it happens. You know, and I may not always stop myself from swapping out projects because I truly believe that sewing is a personal thing. And if I will be happier working on something else, I'm going to do it. But if it's just a case of being bored or frustrated, I'm going to encourage myself to work through it and see if I can finally finish some things on my list. This is also a great time to mention our UFO challenge. So our new challenge starts on January 1st, and we're planning a whole episode to talk about UFOs and our challenge in early January, so I'm not going to chat too long about it today, but if you're ready to commit to conquering your UFOs in 2022, visit our show notes for the link to the challenge and join us. Now I'm handing the mic over to Jody, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, for what's trending on Instagram. Take it away, Jody. I'm Jody Sanders, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting. When I think of Christmas quilts, I think of red, green, and white. But one of the trends that I've noticed on Instagram is a variety of colors being used to make Christmas quilts. The Cozy and Magical Collection by Maureen Cracknell features nutcrackers, wrapped presents, ornaments, and reindeer antlers as motifs. The color palette includes coral, mustard yellow, and cranberry red. Cotton candy pink, mint green, and aqua are nostalgic reminders of mid-century modern. The cover quilt from Lori Holt's book, Vintage Christmas, includes red and green, but it also has light and medium blue, yellow, pink, and jadeite green. The Red Barn Christmas Collection from Sweetwater for Mona Fabrics includes red, cream, and olive green, and then small black and white prints that read as a charcoal gray. A few years ago, black was added as an alternative to white as a background color, particularly with prints that included a gold or silver metallic outline. More recently, I've noticed that navy or light blue are the alternative instead of black. Jewel tones of ruby red, topaz yellow, and emerald green are combined with sapphire blue and amethyst purple to provide intense colors reminiscent of glass ornaments or holiday rhinestone jewelry. A two-color palette of red and white also remains strong maybe because of the Scandinavian influence and the popularity of the Santa gnomes. A nod to the farmhouse style of decorating includes neutral tones of white and cream combined with black or gray. Adding red instantly takes that look to Christmassy without any motifs at all needed. Thanks, Jody. I've definitely been noticing some of those holiday colors in my Instagram feed too. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're going to be chatting about thimbles and answering a listener question. Welcome back. 
Now it's time for Sewing Toolbox, a segment where we share details of a common sewing supply. And today I want to chat about thimbles. So thimbles protect your fingers and help you sew more efficiently as you push the needle through the fabric when you're hand sewing or hand quilting. When I first started quilting, I thought I would never use a thimble, uh, but now I can't imagine my life without one. So I use mine when I'm hand sewing the binding on the quilt, when I'm doing English paper piecing, hand piecing, even embroidery projects. So here are five common types of thimbles you may see when you go to the store. So the first is a classic thimble, and you'll recognize this one as that silver metal one that comes in most little sewing or mending kits. Um, it's probably one um, your, your family has used throughout the years too. And this is an all-purpose thimble. Uh, it's a staple in many sewing rooms. Um, and you just position the eye of the needle in one of the dimples that's on the thimble to help you push it through the fabric. So while these thimbles are really affordable, you can find them everywhere, um, they do have like a one-size-fits-all kind of metal shape, which can be kind of uncomfortable, especially if you have longer fingernails. And the metal can cause your fingers to sweat, so that's something to consider. The second thimble is a silicone thimble. So this looks similar to your classic thimble, but it's soft, it's flexible, and in some cases it has cutout sections around the fingernail um, or other places to allow it to fit more finger shapes and help it to breathe. So silicone thimbles are a good alternative for sewers who find metal uncomfortable or maybe if you're allergic to metal. And because of their softer material, these thimbles provide um, slightly less protection than the metal ones, uh, but many sewers find that they can wear them longer. So this is my favorite kind of thimble. I found one that fits my finger like, like a second skin basically, so I barely notice I'm wearing it and I get a really great grip on the needle. Okay, the third thimble is called a coin thimble. So a coin thimble is generally made from a soft leather and it's larger than other thimbles, so it covers more of your finger and offers more protection. And this thimble has a dimpled metal center. It's called the coin, it's a little circle. And it's used to protect your fingertip when you're pushing the needle. There's also an adjustable metal ring thimble. And this is best for if you're sewing through really thick materials um, or just any sewers who prefer their fingertips to be free. So this ring can be worn on any finger and it's a lot more open than, you know, a more traditional thimble. Most sewers wear it lower on their finger rather than on their fingertips. And then the last thimble is adhesive moleskin dots. So this is best for sewers who don't like their fingers covered at all. So these are stick-on dots that you can position anywhere on your finger and they provide protection without being restrictive. Their small size um, obviously offers a smaller area of protection um, and they don't have the dimples to hold the needle when you're pushing it through. But these are also helpful for people who have sensitive skin or just don't like their fingers to be covered. 
So these dots are actually reusable for a while, um, but you will eventually need to buy more. But many top designers use these adhesive dots. Um, but I think it's, you know, they're so practiced with the wear and how they push the needle with their finger. Um, so they really only need that small area of protection. So this may not be the best type of thimble to start with until you kind of get in the flow with how you might use one. So of course there are so many different factors to consider when buying a thimble. It took me a long time to find one that I really felt comfortable for me and that felt like it fit my hands and my sewing style the best. So it really is a trial and error kind of shopping experience. Uh, but it's good to think about, you know, the size, the breathability, and the material material you like before buying one. So that may help narrow down which type is right for you. And I know it's helpful to see examples of these types of thimbles. So I will link to some in the show notes so that you can check them out more and, you know, maybe pull the trigger and buy one if you're interested. Okay, now let's move on to Ask Us Anything, a segment where we answer our listeners' most pressing quilting questions. So this question comes from my Ito. They say, how do you suggest I start building up a fabric stash? This is a great question. So many times on this podcast, um, we're talking about how to declutter your fabric stash or where to donate your fabrics because many quilters have a large amount of fabric. But on the other end of the spectrum, Many quilters are also trying to build their stash so they have a little more freedom to create. This could be for many reasons. Uh, maybe sewing is a new hobby. Uh, maybe you had to downsize at one point and you're not now trying to rebuild your sewing space. Or maybe you used a lot of fabrics on important projects or gifts or even mask making in the past few years. Or you could just have a limited budget and you're trying to gather a little extra fabric here and there. So no matter what the reason, here are some tips for growing your stash. See if any quilting friends have fabric they'd be willing to part with. It's a great way to get a lot of variety of fabrics quickly. So I know I clean out my fabric stash each year and I always give first dibs to my fabrics I don't want to my family and friends before I donate them. So there's a pretty good chance that some uh, other quilters you know do the same thing and would love their unwanted fabric to go to a good home. Okay, if you're shopping for fabric for a project, buy a little extra if you can afford it. For example, if the pattern calls for a third yard of blue fabric, maybe you buy half a yard so that you have some extra when the project is over. And eventually, all this extra yardage will start to accumulate into a nice stash. You can add fabric to a birthday or Christmas wish lists, or even gift cards to quilt stores or online retailers. And then when you're using your gift cards or you're you know, shopping for these fabrics, aim to buy fabric you know you can use in many projects, such as solids, tone-on-tones, or other simple prints. Um, if, you, if you blow your gift card on this amazing, you know, maybe large-scale floral, it may not be easy to use in more than one quilt, so you really want to be shopping for fabrics that you're going to get your mileage out of. 
Okay, you can make a list of colors you often use in your quilts and you're always running out of. So this could maybe be a certain type of print you gravitate towards too, such as, you know, if you're always using striped fabric for binding, you might want to add striped fabric to a list. And then next time you're at a quilt store, browse their sale fabrics or their remnant yardage. And if there are the colors you need or the prints you need, you can stock up when they're on sale. And lastly, start saving your scraps to make quilts. Especially if you don't have a large stash, saving scraps can extend the life of the fabric you've bought for other projects. So I started saving my scraps a few years ago. I used to just throw them away or donate them, um, but I started saving them a few years ago and I've already made two large throw quilts, a set of stockings, and a table runner. Um, and I've even used the scraps to make some fun pieced backings. So you'll be truly amazed at how many quilts you can get out from even the smallest bits of fabrics. So I hope these tips are helpful in growing your fabric stash. It's a fun endeavor to start on and it's so exciting to start seeing your fabrics accumulate. So if you have a question you'd like answered on the podcast, just send me an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com and we'll list that in the show notes. I always love hearing from you.